Hello, everybody. Is there a game of some kind today, or am I? Apparently so. Good to know. Well, I'm glad you're here. If you're new to Parkview, my name is uh, Pastor Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. You'll hear me speak along with Pastor Tim Sutherland occasionally. Christmas Eve happened. It was fantastic, guys. 14 services between here and Lockport. I know people sometimes want to know this. 20,000 people between all 14 services. So They actually had to do a re-census of Orland Park there at 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve. There was a, it increased by a third or something like that. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome to be here and to be a part of that. But I've got to tell you something. Something happens every year at Christmas that I... I just don't know how to deal with it. So Costco puts out their wrapping paper like in August, okay? Um, my friend Chase, who works at the mall, said they started playing Christmas carols the day after Halloween. That just ain't right. Like, that's, they need medication for that kind of thing. Like, Halloween and Thanksgiving become like the middle children of the holidays, and they have to kind of fend for themselves. And, but I get it, because Christmas was this... We believe that Christmas was this amazing thing that happened. I mean, God became a person. He became flesh. This is what the Bible says about it in Galatians. It says, So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, that's what we were talking about at Christmas, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We became sons and daughters of God. That's kind of a big deal. That's worth celebrating no matter when you start. That's worth being Christmas all year round, if you ask me. But at the same time, something else happens with this whole Christmas season, with the 24-hour news cycle and the battle against for Christmas, against Christmas, whatever, and the, you know, the radio stations playing the Christmas carols, all of that stuff, we start to get a little, little exhausted. And then the, the pace of our lives at Christmas and then the, the family we have to be around, get to be around at Christmas, and, and all of that, it starts to really weigh on us. And what we end up feeling is we end up feeling, well, we end up feeling hungover. We end up feeling like we've had too much too often, and we begin to crumple. Now, the title of today's message is How to Cure a Christmas Hangover, so I want to make one statement really clear. I'm not, I'm not playing with that. I'm not making fun of that term. I'm not having fun with that term hangover. I know some people have a real problem with alcohol, and if that's you and you're in that cycle, your friends and your family need you to break out of that. So can I just say that at the beginning? Maybe 2014 could start there. But when you look at the symptoms of a hangover, listen to this. Typical symptoms, headache, drowsiness, concentration problems, dry mouth, dizziness, fatigue, gastrointestinal complaints, sorry about that one, sweating, nausea, hyperexcitability, and anxiety. Tell me something, do you have to drink to have that kind of stuff going on in your life? These are things that naturally come with the in and out of the life we live 365 days a year. You don't have to be hung over to feel that way. Life can do that to you. Maybe it's because you got too many destructive other habits going on, or maybe there's too many hours that you're losing to anxiety and worry, or maybe there's too many open wounds that just need healed. Maybe there's too much time spent living in a lie about some things that are going on inside you. So if that's you today, if you're feeling spiritually hungover, let me welcome you. Let me welcome you and tell you what Jesus said. 
to the people who are spiritually hungover. This is what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is great news for hungover souls like yours and mine, that there is an invitation from Jesus to come and to rest. So he says, if you're weary, weary is not just tired. Weary is physically, emotionally, and psychologically wrung out, dragged out, and spent. Heavy laden is when we've been carrying something way too heavy for way too long on our shoulders. So if that's you, if you've come into this place feeling that spiritual hangover hanging over your head, Jesus says, come and rest. Settle down and settle in. So let me ask you, do you want rest for your soul today? Do you want that feeling? You don't even have to know what that means per se. You're going to like rest for your soul. What does that even mean? You can even take it out of the whole religious context. This isn't about a faith or God necessarily. This is about the human condition. If somebody found a pill that said, this, if you take it, will give you rest for your soul, I could sell a million of those and I wouldn't even need a celebrity spokesperson to do it. How much would that be worth? If you went up to the average person on the street and said, would you like rest for your soul? Yes, I would. How much would you pay for it? I don't know. How much are you charging? Rest for our souls is something that is common to everybody. It's exactly where we find ourselves on the eve of a new year. And so Jesus welcomes us to settle down and settle in. So let me unpack what Jesus is saying here for just a second. When Jesus talks about the soul, he's talking about that central part of us that keeps everything together. So if, if you're a computer person, this is your operating system. So if you use a Mac, it's Mavericks or, or Mountain Line or whatever you have. And if you use a PC, it's that thing that never works correctly. Um, this is the thing that orders all of life together. But what happens to us is we end up with spiritual ADD. So we get into our life and we're starting to do things. We're starting to work and trying to see things come out the right way. And all of a sudden something shiny shoots past us and all of a sudden we're completely distracted and completely lost. And our souls, what happens are they start to get pulled in a bunch of different directions. And when it's pulled in different directions, it just doesn't work because our souls were built to go in one direction and I'm not the British boy band either. It's built to go in one direction, and that direction is towards God. That's the only direction our souls are meant to go in. Now, next weekend, you're going to get to hear the story of Michael Francis. Michael Francis was one of the most efficient and wealthy mob captains. He was on a list of 50 uh, rising stars in the mob. I don't know how they put that together anyway, but maybe we'll ask him about that. But he's the only one on that list that's still alive. Now, you want to talk about somebody who's got a story about their soul being pulled in a bunch of different directions. Michael has so I'd encourage you to come and listen. But if it's us today that we're talking about, if it's us that feel like our souls are pulled in a million different directions, here comes Jesus and he says, come and rest. Come settle down and settle in. So how do we find that rest for our souls? Jesus talks to us about it. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Now, when Jesus talks about yoke, what he's talking about is a way of doing things. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, he said, take my way of doing things. Parents understand this language as, I don't care what so-and-so's parents say, this is what I say. As a parent, that's your yoke. That's your way of doing life. Jesus is saying, listen, there are a lot of different ways for you to order your life, but I'm saying, if you're, if you're weary, if you need rest... 
then come. Let me show you what that's supposed to look like. Let me welcome you into that. And what we miss in this sometimes, because we've got this weird story about God wanting us to get our act together and find him, what we miss in this is that God is actually on our side in this project. He's actually in it for us. Nothing says that more than God coming as a little baby into the midst of all this mess and stress and standing with us. God is on your side and in your corner. He's on the side of the spiritually hungover, wanting to bring them back to health. Now, I know some of you came here for the first time for Christmas Eve, and you're really shocked that the roof didn't fall in. And so I'm glad that you came back, because it meant that you felt pretty good about your health and safety. And by the way, this roof's been standing for a long, long time, so you are not the first and you will not be the last. But here's what I do know. In the Scriptures, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not by works, so that no one can boast. Can I be honest with you? You cannot earn your invitation to rest. You can't do that because you don't have to. Jesus has made that possible. He said, anyone who wants to come, anyone who wants to come, come and rest. Come and rest with me, anyone. In two weeks, Tim's going to be preaching a sermon called The Signs You See at Parkview. And those of you who've been here for a while know this is a huge part of our story. We want to be the place where people can come and understand that grace is free. It's not something we earn. It's not something we live into. It's something that we accept. And that changes everything. Everyone in Jesus' language is invited to settle down and settle in. But once we accept this invitation, I do want you to know, something does change. Notice what Jesus says. He says, my yoke and my burden. He doesn't say, come and do nothing. He says, come and live your life at rest with me. The invitation means freedom to live into our wildest dreams. But that still takes effort. Even the greatest slackers among us, I could be the chief of slackers, even the greatest slackers among us want to do something with their lives. It's not that we don't want to do anything. It's not we don't want to put forth any effort. We all want to live life with meaning. We all want to love well. We all want to do things that give us life and hope. We want to do things that change the world and help those who are hurting. So we're willing to give the effort if the effort is worth it. And so Paul continues. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So basically what he's saying is if you want to be a good father, rest in Jesus, take on his way. If you want to end the family strife you've been dealing with, rest in Jesus and take on his way. If you want to start cracking through the cage of addiction, rest in Jesus and take on his way. you want to clear your head of that old destructive junk that's been haunting you, rest in Jesus and take on his way. Just because it is easy doesn't mean it's inactive. And just because it's light doesn't mean that we stop carrying things. We will always have those things, but Jesus comes alongside of us and helps us to do that. And he reminds us, you are God's masterpiece. You are the best thing that God ever created. You were born to be sons and daughters of God, linked up to him and living at rest with him. So how do we live this life of settling down and settling in? I think there are three things we need because all good sermons have three things. I don't, I don't know why we do three things. If you've got more, offer them. I'm, I'm happy to hear them, but here are my three things I think that we need. First of all, we need a strong cup of coffee. Strong cup of coffee drinkers, would you agree with that? Amen, hallelujah. The fact that you made it here today probably means you've had plenty. I don't know, I'm, I'm a 
I drink a lot of coffee, and, and what I know about this is nothing actually occurs in reality until I've had that first cup. There's a whole world at work that I don't even know about until we finally have that first cup. This morning, actually, I, I, hadn't, I had it on brewing, and I, I went to make some cereal, and I, I pulled out the box of cereal, and I pulled out a big plate. And I was here before I went, well, this isn't right. Like, reality didn't kick in until that very moment when I'm like, something is not correct here. Something's not going all that well. When we get into the place of spiritual hangover, we have to come to that moment of asking ourselves the question, what is reality right now? We need a strong shot of reality so we can understand where to go from here. Because part of getting out of the hangover is to know that you're hungover in the first place. And we've got to come to terms with that. So the questions we need to ask ourselves are, where are we with God right now? Honestly, does God have any place in our life at this moment? Does God have any impact on our life at this moment? And if not, where are our lives right now? Are we in a healthy place? Are we in a good place? Or are we in a dark and pretty destructive place? We have to get really radically honest with ourselves if we're going to come out of this healthy and say, what is really happening right now? Is our soul weary from trying to make our marriages work on our own? Is our soul weary from trying to be single in a culture that makes us feel like we're second class because we're not married? Are we resting with him or are we weary without him? We have to answer that question honestly before we can do anything else. That strong dose of reality of seeing exactly where we are, realizing what's actually going on. That's the first step in knowing how to settle down and settle in. The second thing we need is a better sense of direction better sense of direction. I find it hilarious. You know, it used to be the old joke was that men would never stop for directions. You ever heard this? Okay, well now you don't need that, right? Because you've got this piece of technology in your pocket that will tell you where you're going. But you know what I've seen happen now? We guys will argue with Siri. <laughs> Turn left here. Uh-uh, I don't think so. <laughs> like we had to type the address in to get where we were going, and now she's telling us, or he's telling us, where to go, and we're arguing with this piece of technology. It's coming from space. There's a satellite. We have, I, I can admit this to you all because we're close, and what happens at Parkview stays at Parkview. I, I have no sense of direction whatsoever. My, what sense of direction I do have is really, really sad. And so I find myself getting lost a lot. And that's a really, really great metaphor for what I'm talking about, is that a lot of times when we find ourselves spiritually hungover, it's because we've been following our own directions for way too long. We've been arguing with Siri. No, it's a left. Well, it's definitely right. To the left is a lake. <laughs> if you go back to the very first book in the Bible, there's a story about Adam and Eve. You may have heard this story before. And God asked Adam and Eve, you can eat anything you want in this garden, any of the fruit on any of these trees, except for this one tree, which if you have children, you understand is basically the death curse. Because as soon as you say you can have anything but that, they want nothing else but that. And I could say that for kids, but it's true for us too, right? They don't, you can do anything you want, but just don't touch that button. Ooh. I want to touch the button. <laughs> it gets in our heads. And so Adam and Eve, they've been told, you can eat anything you want except for what's on this tree. And then the serpent shows up, Satan shows up, and he says, what? what? what you can't eat from the tree? Why not? You're competent. You're responsible. 
Come on, God's just paranoid that you're going you're gonna to try and overthrow him if you eat that fruit. He's insecure. Like, you know you got this, right? I mean, look at that fruit. It's got lots of fiber. It's gluten-free. It's free of trans fat. Come on. You can handle this, can't you? So this is what the scripture says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And as she eats this, I'm sure she heard the echo in her head. You can handle this, right? How many dumb things happen in our life and they begin with this phrase? Now, I got this. I got this. No, I'll figure this out. Or my favorite one, hey, watch this. Nothing good happens after you say that. (laughs) Hey, watch this. Here's the reality. You and I are never hung over by accident. We never fall into it. We never wander into it. It's always because somewhere along the line, we chose to follow our decision versus the better decision. And we end up in a very broken spot. And so Adam and Eve end up here. Scripture says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Ever since that moment, our directions now move us in the direction of shame. Relationships get awkward and messy. Relationships get complicated. Distance from us and God begins to grow and to increase, and we start hiding from God. We start looking back on our life with regret, and we finally understand It seemed like a good idea at the time. And like Eve, we got focused on the fruit and not on the big picture. If you're going to find out where you're supposed to be, you have to be focused on the big picture. Have you ever ended up in disaster because you followed your own good ideas? Let's just do this together right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have a horrible sense of direction. Some of you have been waiting to say that for a long time. Some of you, that's not the first time you've said it today, is it? 183rd, 183rd. So is it, is it desperate? Is it hopeless? No, because here comes Jesus, and listen to what Jesus says about this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What you need to know about the time period in which Jesus lived is there was no electricity, All they had for light were lanterns or oil lamps or candles, and it's not like they had a Target or something where they could go buy new candles. They had to actually dip them and make them themselves. So light was a precious commodity, not to mention the fact that the area of the world they lived in was really overrun with a lot of dangerous, creepy, crawly kind of vermin. So if you're walking at night without a light, there's a very good chance you could step on something and come back dead. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, they didn't go, oh, flick the switch. They thought, oh, something that keeps us from killing ourselves. And that's the problem with our own direction is that we are not made to live without light. We are not made to live without the guidance of someone else. We were built to depend on God for our direction and for our light and for our understanding. And what happens is when we go walking in the darkness, we step on stuff that will kill us. Or best case scenario, we step in something we can't get off. And it just goes with us throughout our life. 
our direction is not the best one. So as we come to this point of getting out of the hangover, we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it to me to begin following somebody else? Am I tired of getting to where I've been getting with my own directions? Is it time for me to follow someone else, to take Jesus' invitation, to walk with him, and to settle down and settle in? We need a strong cup of coffee. We need a better sense of direction. And finally, we need to get into recovery. We need to get into recovery. The final step out of the spiritual hangover, and this is a journey we go on, is to realize that we need to shift our priorities. Because recovery is all about healing being more important than staying sick. Until that moment comes, we will not get out of our own mess. And let me just be honest with you. I kind of like my mess sometimes. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes I kind of like my mess. It's comfortable. I know my mess. I'm familiar with it. I can just stay in it, and I kind of know the score of what's going to happen next. We will not, and this isn't a religious thing. This is a human thing. You and I will not make change in our life until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so if we're going to get out of the hangover, what has to happen is we have to realize no matter how much change may hurt, it still feels better than what I'm about to do over and over and over and over again. So when Jesus says, come, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, he's inviting us to something even bigger than that. Because he's saying, look, you don't have to be weary. You don't have to be heavy laden anymore. There's a new way of life that's easy and light. There is an option other than life as we have always known it that you are free to choose at this moment. But the question really is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? In Jesus' story, you find something crazy. He, he's talking to people who want to follow him. And, and he does something strange. He actually tells them before they do it to think about it. Here's what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Get this. Let this sink in for a second. Jesus is actually telling people to think about it before they make the decision to follow him. Say, what? Like, I thought he just had this big boat, this big party. Like, everybody get on board. And everybody was getting on board the boat for the Jesus party. But apparently not, because here's Jesus saying, I want you to think about this for just a second. I mean, Jesus needs some marketing classes. Don't you know you're pushing people towards the close? Always be closing. Pushing them towards the sale, right? Instead, he says, think about it, because Jesus understands people, and what he knows about people is that if it's not a priority, you will never follow through with it. If it is not the most important thing to you, you will never follow through on it. We're not great at priorities. There's a man who went, attended a Super Bowl and he sat down in his seat and there was an open seat beside him and then there was a lady and, and he, he looked at her and he said, wow, it's, it's really odd. These are hard tickets to get. I can't believe there's an open seat. And she says, yeah, it, it was my husband's seat, but he passed away. And he said, oh my, my gosh, that's terrible. He said, but I, I, have to, I have to ask you, none of the other family members could make it. They didn't want to pick up the ticket. That's really surprising to me. She goes, yeah, it's surprising to me too. I guess they all wanted to go to the funeral. So, <laughs> priorities are not our strong suit. We are not good at saying what's most important. Now, you knew we were going to do this coming in this weekend, so let me just get it out of the way. Let's talk about New Year's resolutions for just a minute. Here are the top 10 New Year's resolutions that come up just about every year. And you look at those and you're like, yeah, those are going to be mine. I'm just going to take a picture of my phone. And then there we go. 
Fall in love. I don't know how good of a resolution that. Anyway. Do you notice something about this list? The reason those appear every single year is because the opposite of that is really fun. <laughs> Losing weight is not as fun as eating whatever I want. Quitting smoking is not as fun as smoking. Um, <laughs> spending less and saving more isn't nearly as fun as well doing the opposite of that. Now, if you're in that spot where you're looking down 2014 with a lot of debt, we do offer some help for that in something called Financial Peace University that we offer every single year. We've retired hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. And I can tell you the people that go through this have a sense of freedom like you wouldn't believe. So if you're in that spot or you just want to manage your, your resources better, I would sign up for this at both Orland and Lockport campuses. Now, I don't want to make you guilty about your resolutions because you probably already are, but I do want to say this. Here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that no matter how fun the opposite of following him was, it would never be greater than the fun of following him. He knew that. That's why he could say, think about it. But I'll tell you what, no matter what has to change in your life, it will be better than what you're doing right now. Jesus knew and trusted in what he was offering, that it was always going to be greater than the other things that people could choose in their lives. There's a story that illustrates that. There's this rich guy that comes to him and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life, to have the life that I was built to have? And Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, check, done that since I was a kid. Awesome, I'm in. And Jesus then stops for a second. I love what the scripture says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Kind of like, oh, son. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now the disciples are just freaking out at this because as far as they knew, this guy was the pinnacle of being alive. He had everything he could possibly want and more. And so here's Jesus saying, look, if you want to come and follow me, you've got to sell all this stuff. Now I'm not saying to you today that you need to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. I'm not saying that. Maybe God is saying that to you. I don't know that he is. Maybe God is saying you need to sell that stuff that you don't need anymore. And maybe God's telling you to unload that 68 Camaro you have, and if so, come and talk to me. But um, what I think hap is happening here is that Jesus is getting at the heart of this young man. He's saying, how much is it worth to you to have rest, to settle down and settle in? Is it worth giving up everything you own? Is it worth selling off everything and giving it away to be with me? And Jesus in his mind is going, because I know it is. I know it is. Just take that step. Come and rest with me. So we come back to that invitation. And Jesus says, come. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you've been carrying something that you can't carry anymore, if you're tired in your bones, if you're exhausted getting up in the morning and you've done absolutely nothing, it's probably time for you to take seriously this invitation that Jesus gives to come and rest, to settle down and settle in. Now, right before this passage where Jesus says, come, you who are weary and heavy laden, he says something else, and I think it's important for us to know this. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, all things, all things have been committed to me by my Father. All things belong to me. And the reason that's important is because I want you to know who's inviting you today. 
You are not being invited by some revolutionary from another time, some out-of-touch religious leader who is irrelevant. You are not being invited to some feel-good, get-rich-quick scheme, some way of getting just a little further ahead in life or being nicer or a little more attractive, a little more wealthy. You are being invited by the owner and operator of the entire universe to a revolution of character who is radically bent towards the jacked-up, the cracked-up, the banged-up, the beat-up, the fed-up, the used-up, and the dried-up. This is who is inviting you today. You're being invited to give up trying to make things work on your own and begin to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You are being invited to join hands with someone who knows all this belongs to me. And if you stick with me, the hangover ends here and now. So Jesus is inviting us all, all of us, Maybe this is your first experience with church and you're like, yeah, that's what I need. Maybe you've been in church for a long, long time and you're still not at rest. It doesn't matter. Jesus is inviting all of us. Come. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, lay it down. Come and rest. Settle down and settle in. Here's your strong cup of coffee today. You don't have to live exhausted anymore. That feeling you have of being wrung out. You don't have to live with that anymore. Jesus has come and I will give you rest. Here's some better direction for you. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Your relationships, your job, your family, you don't have to figure that out on your own. Jesus says, come and take my yoke. It'll be fine. And here's some recovery for you. There is a greater way that is worth giving up everything to follow. Everything. There is nothing that is worth more than the life that Jesus has for each of us. Coming back to a Christmas story, a, a story at Christmas time, the one that I think illustrates this the best, is the story of Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. You know, talk about hangovers. Think about the night this guy had. So he goes to sleep, a greedy miser, exploiting his workers, ignoring the poor and the sick around him, saying bah humbug to everybody. And he goes to sleep and he's visited by three spirits, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And they basically tell him what he probably already knows deep down inside. You are a miserable human being, and if you keep doing this, you are going to die alone. And when you die, they're going to throw a big party. Not exactly your five-year plan for success. And so he wakes up the next morning transformed. And the funny thing is, everybody around him, they are just wide-eyed and slack-jawed because they know this is obviously a miracle. Nobody that bad could go that good so quickly unless something miraculous happened to them. And so when you came in, maybe you thought, yeah, okay, I get the Jesus thing. I know you're supposed to talk about that. It is a church, a different kind of church, but you still talk about the Jesus thing. Maybe you came in thinking, but you don't know me. And you don't know what kind of miracle it would be for me to have rest. You don't know what kind of miracle it would be for me to shift my priorities around and follow Jesus. You don't understand who I am. I don't know you personally, but I believe in miracles. Deep at the core of my being, I believe in miracles because I am one. And you can be. Because Jesus said, come. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. Come. Let me transform you into something you never thought you could be. We're going to take communion now. And 
we close, you know, I don't know where you are. I, I don't know if you came in here feeling like it would be a miracle if this year coming up changed, if it was any different than the year past. It would be a miracle if my relationship with my son or my daughter got better. It would be, it would be a miracle if our marriage improved. It would be a miracle if my battle against the junk inside me, against past hurts and past wounds, it would be, be a miracle if that ever happened. We believe in miracles. We're a church filled with stories of the miraculous. And last week, people came here for the first time ever and actually figured out that God may not hate them. That's a huge step forward. And if God can change half of the stumbling, bumbling fools in the Bible, I think we've got a shot. And the reason I know that is because at communion time, we have these reminders so that if I, ever, if I ever forget, if I ever lose track of it, if I ever think that miracles don't happen, well, there's, there's blood and there's a body. There's juice and there's bread to remind me that God came in the flesh, taught me how to live, and then died and rose again so that I could have the power to do it, to do it. And so as we take communion together, that's the message for you. Nothing brings rest like a plan for our life and a power to live it. And that's what we get at communion time. So they're going to pass the trays across. There are two cups, one inside the other. Take both of them, hold them. We'll all take communion together. You don't have to be a member of Parkview. If you believe in Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, for a miracle the miracle of your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that because of all of those things, miracles are possible in our life, even small ones. But you can give us the miracle of rest, and the miracle of right priorities, and good direction, and hope beyond all hope. So as my friends in this room take these elements together today, would you begin to drill that message deep into their hearts, deep into their souls, that they know there can be rest if they accept your invitation? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.